0: June 28, 1914, Archduke of Austria-Hungary Francis Ferdinand and his wife Sophie were shot dead by a Serbian assassin. At the time, nobody suspected that this murder had lit the fuse to a global conflagration, a cataclysm that would sweep up nations, empires, and peoples around the globe. Among those swept up in the First World War were the Latter-day Saints whose members made up congregations throughout the United States, Canada, Britain, and Germany. So what was it like for Latter-day Saints in the Great War? What was it like for those soldiers of the belligerent nations to enlist, to train, and to fight? How did Latter-day Saints fare in the trenches? What was it like for the Mormon people on the home front? And for those who survived, how did they make sense of what they had lived through? We will explore that and more in this, our third season. I'm Nate Olson, and this is Adventures in Mormon History. The First World War was unlike anything the world had ever seen. From 1914 through 1918, it took the lives of nearly 8.5 million soldiers and 13 million civilians. It further spawned the outbreak of the Spanish influenza and spread it throughout the world, claiming the lives of somewhere between 25 to 50 million people. There's no easy way to explain what caused the war. But basically, a series of entangling alliances and rivalries had turned Europe into a powder keg. It was set off when, in the summer of 1914, a group of diehard Serbian nationalists assassinated the Archduke of Austria Hungary as part of their vision of uniting the Serbian people under a single country. Austria Hungary decided to use the occasion to push a war with Serbia a war it could use to win new expanses of territory. But Serbia was backed up by its ally and patron, Tsarist Russia. Austria-Hungary was not deterred, though, since it was backed up by its own ally, Germany. But Germany, in any war with Russia, was in danger from Russia's ally, France, And so, as Germany slid closer to war with Russia, its leaders thought they had no choice but to attack France first, destroying its army before Russia could mobilize its millions of soldiers and invade Germany. But in its invasion of France, Germany went through Belgium, which in turn brought Belgium's ally, Great Britain, into the war. Britain brought the Commonwealth, Canada, Australia, New Zealand, India, Ireland, Germany formed a secret alliance with the Ottoman Turks, bringing them into the war on the side of the Central Powers. Germany tried to starve Britain into submission with submarine blockades of its ports, sinking every vessel going in and out, but that ultimately brought the United States into the war by 1917. So all told, 30 nations were dragged into the conflict that nobody wanted in the first place. There are so many tragic aspects of the Great War. Historians have compiled a dizzying list of what-ifs that might have prevented the outbreak of war. Or even after the war started, it seems that there are so many ways that a piece may have been hammered out, or at least that commanders in the field would find ways to staunch the flow of blood. But none of this was to be. Year after year, commanders on all sides, Douglas Haig of Britain, Ferdinand Foch of France, Erich Ludendorff in Germany, all were adherents to different degrees of what has come to be known as the cult of the offensive. The idea that battle was, ultimately, a contest of will, and victory would go to whichever side showed the most spirit. So under this theory, a spirited bayonet charge could win the breakthrough even in the face of artillery, machine guns, barbed wire, poison gas. And so time and time again, in the Somme, in Ypres, in Verdun, in Paschendala, in Michaels, thousands and thousands of soldiers would be killed, crippled and maimed in efforts to break through the enemy's lines. Summed up by Germany's commander, Ludendorff, we will punch a hole and let the rest follow just to get a scope of the magnitude of the Great War, Americans remember the Battle of Gettysburg, the bloodiest battle in American history. After three days of fighting, the combined casualties of both North and South totaled 50,000. But on July 1, 1916, the first day in the Battle of the Somme, the losses of the British Army alone surpassed the carnage of Gettysburg. The belligerent nations would only win by bleeding each other dry. Beyond the appalling losses, trench warfare brought misery to previously unimagined levels. Soldiers in the trenches suffered from hunger, rain, snow, filth, rats, lice, and mud. The bodies of the dead would lie in no man's land for weeks and sometimes months. Death could come at any moment through shells, snipers, gas, or deadliest of all, the Spanish Flu. When the war broke out, the Latter-day Saints had congregations across the United States, Canada, Britain, and Germany. In Utah, there was a large and proud population of German-American Latter-day Saints. But whether Americans, Germans, Canadians, or British, the Latter-day Saints saw military service at the time of the Great War as an obligation under the Twelfth Article of Faith. They believed, after all, that they were subjects to kings or presidents or rulers and they would obey the law, including military conscription into the armed forces. Beyond that, Latter-day Saints in each nation saw in the war a chance to prove their loyalty. Since the 19th century, Latter-day Saints had been viewed with suspicion in many countries, including the United States. But by 1914, the world had changed. The church no longer encouraged converts to emigrate to the Rocky Mountains. Instead, they were encouraged to build up congregations in their home countries. American Latter-day Saints were not alone in this effort to prove themselves loyal citizens. It's a long way. When Canada entered the war in 1914, an army recruiter arrived in the Mormon settlements of Alberta. Hugh B. Brown, a Canadian army officer and future apostle, remembered that this recruiter was the kind of man who, quote, made enemies everywhere he went. He failed to enlist a single recruit, apparently, and explained to his superiors that his lack of success was due to the disloyalty of the Mormon people. He called on Canada to expel the Mormons from its borders. However, one of Canada's MPs, William Buchanan, was familiar with the Mormon communities near Medicine Head, and he seriously doubted reports that the Mormons were either cowardly or disloyal. Instead, he convinced the Canadian army to commission several influential Latter-day Saints as army officers and then charged them with the recruiting of more Mormon youths. Hubie Brown was chosen for this role. Jenny Van Orman of Alberta remembered the day that her brother Herschel and his friends enlisted in the army. These boys signed up because some people in the community had accused the Mormons of not being patriotic and cowards because they would not enlist. So these young men enlisted to defend their church. Private Archibald Bennett of Canada, later to become church historian, agreed that the reason so many Latter-day Saints in Alberta enlisted was not for the adventure or the glamour, but to fight off stereotypes that portrayed Latter-day Saints as disloyal. The Saints in Germany were no different, and they prayed in their meetings that God would give victory to Germany in the war. William Kessler, who was born in Germany in 1887, had joined the church in 1907 at the age of 19. He emigrated to Utah and would later return to Germany as a missionary in 1912, but when the war broke out, he enlisted in the German army. He wrote to his mission president, explaining the decision. Let me keep my belief that all authority is from God and that we must give the Kaiser his due. Let me keep my confidence in God that he can protect his children even in the most dangerous of circumstances. The sins of the Slavs are great and the blood shed by them cries to heaven, God will punish them. But he saw in the war ultimately a chance for the gospel to shine in with unrestricted freedom to the Balkan nations. Now when war broke out in 1914, the United States was neutral. But Germans in Utah rallied to the cause of the Central Powers. On August 5th, More than 500 German Latter-day Saints attended a patriotic rally in the German Hall in Salt Lake City. They opened the rally by singing Deutschland, Deutschland, über alles. Charles Peter, the first speaker, declared, With our Kaiser, only one condition exists in the present conflict, victory or death. Dr. F. Warmeister declared, our cradles were in Germany, and that is where our hearts are now. They adopted a dispatch to the German ambassador in Washington, D.C., saying that Salt Lake City's Germans, while they had long prayed for peace, now that war had come, they would pray only for victory. Oh, 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 it's an ugly war. Though as the United States slid closer and closer to war, such outbursts of German pride and support for Kaiser Wilhelm uh, quickly went mute. And by 1917, the United States had joined the war on the side of Britain and France. Over there, over there, send the word. Now Utah by this point had been a state for over 20 years, and LDS apostle Reed Smoot, after three years of congressional hearings, managed to keep his seat in the Senate only by the thinnest of margins from the effort to expel him. A central contention of the hearings was the idea that the Mormon people were disloyal to the United States. Specifically, that the endowment ceremony in the LDS temple rituals demanded an oath of hostility against the United States government. As the world descended into war, Senator Smoot, still smarting from the three-year hearing, took the chance to remind his fellow senators that the Mormon people had proved they were as true Americans as any in the crucible of war. In the face of an accusation of an oath of hostility, what is the reply of these men of the Utah Light Artillery who had received the Mormon church endowment ceremonies? It is given in the roar of battle, in the personal privation, the nerve-wracking strain of scores of hard-fought engagements, and the unswerving loyalty of those American soldiers who never shrank from duty or wavered in the face of the enemy. And to further prove their loyalty to the United States, Utah exceeded every quota that the federal government imposed from manpower to food to war bonds to enlistments. But after recruiting, each nation now faced the task of turning their citizens into soldiers. In our next episodes, we will continue the story of Latter-day Saints in the Great War. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Adventures in Mormon History. We owe a special thanks to Robert Freeman and Andrew Skinner, for their excellent book, Saints at War, World War I. A link to this and other sources are available in the show notes. I'm your host, Nate Olson.